Heavenly Father, captivate us with your love today. May we be so enraptured and entranced with your love that all lesser loves will fade by comparison. Draw us near to you this morning, Lord, that we may live for you, that we may stand strong for you. That we may love you with our whole hearts and souls and minds and strength. In Jesus' name, amen. I think we're going to have church this morning. I can just tell. I uh, got caught up in that song and I think Larry and I were kind of doing a duet right there behind her and... uh, I tell you what, that's a great song from Calvary's love, Calvary's love, which is the source of all love. To be captivated by that love is God's answer to the temptations and trials that we find in our lives. Someone has said that people in our day know the price of everything and the value of nothing. So for our price conscious folks, here's my family wise question of the week. How much does adultery cost? In America, adultery is no longer a crime in half the states and the others. It is seldom, if ever, prosecuted. Alienation of affections, you've heard that expression. But straying from marriage remains a very costly, if not criminal, idea. Recently estimated that the typical adulterous husband invests almost $26,000 over a four-month period in conducting an extramarital affair. And once his wife discovers his philandering, he can count on another 5000 in legal bills and $1,800 deposit on a place to live after she unceremoniously evicts him from their home. But how much does adultery really cost? I want to say this morning that it costs more than that. Would you open your Bibles with me The book of Proverbs, where we've been studying together. And I'm going to read in chapter 5. I'll be referencing chapter 6 and 7 as well. But 5 will be our focus today. And I'm just going to choose uh, some readings from this passage, like the Song of Solomon. I need to be discreet in my reading this morning. You who have children and grandchildren will appreciate that I am. Proverbs chapter 5, verse 1. Let's stand together as we read God's Word. My son, pay attention to my wisdom. Listen well to my words of insight, that you may maintain discretion and your lips may preserve knowledge. For the lips of an adulteress drip honey and her speech is smoother than oil, but in the end she is bitter as gall, sharp as a double-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps lead straight to the grave. She gives no thought to the way of life. Her paths are crooked, but she knows it not. And I pick up with verse 15. Drink water from your own cistern, running water from your own well. Should your springs overflow in the streets, your streams of water in the public squares, 
Let them be yours alone, never to be shared with strangers. May your fountain be blessed and may you rejoice in the wife of your youth. Verse 21. For a man's ways are in full view of the Lord and he examines all his paths. The evil deeds of a wicked man ensnare him. The cords of his sin hold him fast. He will die for lack of discipline, led astray by his own great folly. You may be seated. If you're uncomfortable with me reading these words, uh, I, I must share with you that this week I agonized over this message and struggled even with it. And then a series of encounters late in the week reminded me just how relevant these words that were written 3,000 years are for people like us. People who um, are married, people who are single, uh, young people going away from home for the first time and others facing the reality of a future alone and wondering what that will be like. For people like us, the Word of God remains relevant. It speaks to the real issues in our lives. And Solomon was writing to his sons. He was trying to prepare them for the life of becoming leaders in their country. But he might as well have been writing to his daughters. It is not as though this is only an issue for men. And when we see him talking about the adulteress enticing the young man in chapters 5 and 6 and 7, we have all known stories of adulterers, men who have enticed women in the same way. We're not surprised that that 3,000 years ago it was addressed primarily to men. But the words speak to all of us. And what Solomon says in these words is that there is a love that is so great that it can captivate our souls and keep us in commitment to God and to our vows in marriage relationship. There is a love that is greater than the momentary desires of our lives. And if we could steep ourselves, immerse ourselves in that love, we would find no cause to ever stray from the love of God and the love of our spouses. In fact, he invites his sons to contemplate the high cost of adultery, not only in chapter 5, but in chapter 6 and 7 as well. And, and what he says, in effect, is adultery will cost you. It will cost you personally. It will cost you relationally. It will cost you spiritually. It will cost you more than you want to pay. Personally, he references in chapter 5 as he talks about the effects of temptation and adultery on the life of an individual. And he shows us in these words as he speaks wisdom, he says, interestingly in verse 2, your lips are to preserve knowledge. Get this right, he says, because the lips of an adulteress drip honey and her speech is smoother than oil. And so often extramarital relationships begin with conversation and secrets shared and kept from those we love. And out of that conversation comes a relationship which leads astray. 
And he wants his sons to know that they are not immune to this temptation. And neither are any of us. There is a sense in which this great gift that God has given to marital uh, couples, to married couples, that this great gift uh, can be misused and distorted and corrupted. And he wants to keep them from that pain. And so he writes to his sons. He writes to us who also face temptation. I think of that young man who was going off on business to Spain for a couple of months. He was going to earn money. His fiance would wait here in the United States and he hated to be away from her. And she was a little nervous about him going over to Spain where there are, I am told, many beautiful women. And he was he was concerned and she was concerned. And so as he was about to leave, she said, I'm just a little worried. He said, don't be worried. I'm completely committed to you. And, you know, through the marvels of email and text messaging and all of that, they were able to stay in touch with each other. And she would say, how are you doing? And he would say, well, I'm I'm struggling a little bit. I really am, but I'm completely committed to you. And finally, she sent him a gift. It was a harmonica. And she said, every time you see these beautiful Spanish women, I want you to play the harmonica. I want you just to think about me. This will help you keep your mind occupied. And and the months passed quickly. And he came back to the United States. And there she was to greet him and She was in the airport and he reached out with his arms to embrace her. And she said, wait a minute. First, let me hear you play that harmonica. I want to see whether or not you've really been practicing. And it seems to me that you and I are tempted in many ways. And there is no sense in saying that we are not. And Jesus, addressing this very subject, said, you've heard that it was said, Matthew chapter 5. You've heard that it was said, thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say to you. If you look upon a person with lust, you've committed adultery already in your heart. Now, why did Jesus say that? Well, he was in full view of the Pharisees and they had categorized, as perhaps we have, the world into those who are adulterers and those who are not. And they were a bit self-righteous about it. They were a bit self-righteous about their own behavior and they thought other people were evil and they were not like the woman caught in adultery. They were sure that those people were wrong and should be stoned to death, but not them. And so Jesus says to them, if you think you do not have a problem in this area, you misunderstand the consequences of the fall. This temptation is real and only those who think they cannot fall are more likely to fall. In fact, I heard about a pastor who was speaking to his congregation about this and he said, I have a word from the Lord for you. All of you in this room who are struggling with this temptation to immorality, all of you who are struggling with the problem of lust, Now, a word from the Lord, may your tongue stick to the woof of your mouth. (laughs) And I come this morning to say to you that Solomon's words speak to us. And what he says is this sin can lead to destruction. You see it in verses 4 and 5. Her feet go down to death. Her steps lead down to the grave. If you think he is uh, being overly uh, strong here, I want you to see in chapter 6. Verse 27, when he says, can a man scoop fire into his lap without his clothes being burned? If you wonder what it costs the individual to be involved in adultery, Solomon says it costs too much. It costs more than you want to pay. He goes on in chapter 7 in verse 22 to describe it. He says, it's like an ox going down to slaughter, like a deer stepping into a noose. It's like a bird darting into a snare. It is death. It is death. It is death. Some years ago, um, a woman 
in Hungary decided to leave her family to follow the uh, uh, the virtuoso uh, Franz Liszt, and she left her family and her husband to, to be involved with this great musician and followed him all around the country. And when the infatuation wore off, she said, after a person has smashed everything around oneself, one discovers that one has also smashed oneself. There is a pain in adultery that I would, that I would shield you from as a congregation. I would say to you that the, the, the devastating personal pain is great. But I would go beyond that and say in terms of the damage to relationship, if you look at verses 15 to 18 and beyond, he describes the wonder of the relationship which God provides in marriage. And I just want you to focus for just a moment where he says in verse 15, your own cistern, your own well, should your, notice the personal uh, possessive pronoun, your springs, your streams, let them be, verse 17, yours alone, never to be, to be shared with strangers. May you rejoice in the wife of your youth. I want you to see first the exclusiveness of this relationship of marriage, that that marriage is exclusive, forsaking all others, we say, in our wedding vows, and it should be exclusive. It must be exclusive. There is that which God gives to us in the gift of marriage, and it is not to be shared. There is an exclusivity there, and from time to time I will hear people say these days where cohabitation is so much in vogue, well, it's only, it's only a piece of paper. The marriage contract is only a piece of paper. We don't need a piece of paper to love each other and I was just wondering how that would play if you tried to apply it in other arenas of life for instance those of you who are employers if when it came to payroll day you just decided not to pay your employees and they came to you and said where's our check and you said ah it's just a piece of paper we don't need money to work together do we imagine if uh, there were no constitution of the United States of America after all it's just a, a piece of paper we vest a lot of power in pieces of paper. And there is a promise that is resident in that marriage contract that is sacred before God. And we ought to take that seriously. And we ought not to share in that which is outside of marriage, either before marriage or after marriage. There is this exclusiveness. And if you could see it when he says, may you rejoice in the wife of your youth. There is an exhilaration in marriage which shields us from adultery. Uh, he doesn't say, put up with, endure the wife of your youth. He, he says, rejoice in the wife of your youth. And in 10 years as your pastor, I've had the privilege of having a front row seat to watch the people of God rejoice in the spouses of their youth. And it is an ongoing inspiration to... Uh, to newcomers at marriage like me and Melanie who will celebrate our 24th anniversary with VBS as we always do. It used to be the Southern Baptist Convention, now it's Vacation Bible School every year. We, I used to bring her flowers to Vacation Bible School to her class until she told me not to do that anymore and I am a very obedient husband and so I don't. But, but there is a joy. And I can say after 24 years of marriage, I wouldn't have thought when we married at the ages of 20 and 21, please don't tell my 18-year-old son how old we were when we got married. That is a, a very scary prospect. But when we were 20 and 21, you could not have convinced me that marriage would be better 
at 44 and 45, but it is. And I understand from those of you who've been married 50 plus years that it just goes, it just grows sweeter through the years. Philip Yancey wrote some years ago a, a sort of meditative, reflective piece. And he said, you know, my fear for those who run into hard times in marriage and sort of jump ship early is that they think that the hardest times will always be there and they miss the joys that follow. And I want for us that joy of rejoicing in the spouse's of our youth, I think about that older couple and they were lying in bed one evening and she, she said to him, she was a little discontented with him about the events of the day and she said, I remember when we were young, you used to snuggle with me and he rolled over and sort of in a grumbling way began to snuggle with her and she said, I remember when we were younger, you used to hold my hand and he groused about it but he took her hand in his and she said, I remember when we were younger, you used to nibble my ear and he just threw the covers off the bed and stood up and walked out of the room and she said, where are you going? He said, to get my teeth. <laughs> well, whatever it takes, I think we ought to rejoice. If you have to go get your teeth, get them. Rejoice in the wife of your youth. And I believe God's answer to adultery is marriage. The rejoicing and the sharing and joy. And I, I can't even read the verses that Solomon writes about this, but you ought to read them from time to time. Some would be amazed that they made it into Scripture, but God is the God who gave this great gift, and He invites us to exalt in that. And the cost of adultery is too high personally, it's too high maritally or relationally, it's, it's too high spiritually. And this is the real truth in verses 21 to 23. Lest a person think, and they use that word cheating as though they're getting away with something. They're even television shows. In fact, I wonder if there are any television shows that aren't about this these days. It's devastating to see that in on our television screens. And he just wants us to know that God sees if nobody else sees. Imagine a person cheating. Imagine a person playing Monopoly and every once in a while taking a $500 bill from her own or his own uh, stack of money. And when nobody was looking, sort of covertly putting it back in the bank. Cheating at the game of Monopoly. Cheating himself. Cheating herself. The reality of adultery is that it, it certainly does cheat our spouses and it certainly does cheat other persons' spouses. But the worst part of it is it cheats us in our relationship with God. And he says, God sees. If I could summarize it briefly, he says in verse 21, whatever we think, God sees everything we do. We live our lives in full view of God. Nothing is hidden from God. God sees, and so we must choose to be obedient to Christ. It's why Joseph could run from Potiphar's wife, because he understood what we must understand, what Paul wrote to the church at Corinth. The problem with adultery, with immorality, with pornia, the word that he uses in Greek, is, is that it, it not only... Uh, harms others but he says it's the one sin first corinthians 6 18 to 20 it's the one sin that wars against one's own soul and the truth about intimacy if i can just be transparent this morning is that god creates this gift and it may be the very closest any of us ever comes to touching the soul of another person and it's as if god is saying through proverbs keep your hands off other people's souls and give yourself only to that soul connection of husband and wife. And he says, um, God sees. 
Lest we think that we deceive others, we are only ultimately deceiving ourselves. In verse 22, he says, whatever we think, we will be caught. It's Jesus' words in Luke chapter 12, verses 2 and 3. What is, what is spoken in secret will be spoken in public. What is spoken in the innermost sanctum or closets of the home will be shouted from the rooftop. Ask, ask David if one can get away with this sin. He who, who uh, committed adultery and then had Uriah killed and then married Bathsheba and brought her into his home and acted like nothing had ever happened when all of Israel knew what had happened. And most of all, God knew what had happened. And Nathan came and told the story and said, You are the man and then David knew that what he had done was known and he experienced the pain of that and we do not hide things ultimately from God verse 23 sums it up he will die for lack of discipline I want you to see as he described it with the animals that I mentioned in chapter 7 the ox the deer the bird and then hear him say in verse 27 her house is a highway to the grave leading down to chambers of death. The truth about adultery is that something inside us dies. There's no other way to describe it. There is a, a death that comes with that sin. One writer describes it. He says it's, it's really, it's really true that the person who becomes involved in adultery begins to keep secrets from one's spouse long after the, the affair is over and those secrets begin to change the very nature of that person's heart and the nature of the relationship. And dare I say, the nature of our relationship with God. And it can lead, the scriptures say, to hell. This is what the word of God teaches us and the pain of it is, is so amazingly great. That Jacques Ellul, writing about this, said, Every time I hear about a person leaving his or her spouse because of passion for another, I, I weep as I do over the death of a child. It is that grievous. It's why Paul wrote to the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and said, You are puffed up, but you should mourn. You should weep. And in my time here and in other churches I have served, I have heard stories of adultery. And always, always, it pierces my soul that these things have happened on my watch. And my word to you is, um, not on my watch. Be, be faithful. Be diligent. Celebrate the wife, the husband of your youth. It is why Browning said, grow old together with me. The best is yet to be. It's why when we gathered here yesterday with Buster in memory of Shirley and thought about their 56 plus years of marriage and his faithful attentive care to her through that, that awful process we call Alzheimer's, we were impressed again with the depth of his love for her. This is what God intends. You have shown us the way. And we thank you for the inspiration you provide. And my word to you goes back to a time many years ago, maybe eight or nine, no, probably 11 or 12 years ago, standing beside a beautiful river in, in central Texas on a hilly ranch 
with a little wooden box in my hand, wearing complete camouflage, standing in a cedar bush beside the river there, making this sound with this wooden box, trying to entice a turkey to come so that I could do it bodily injury. And I read this week about male turkeys more than I ever knew that these gobblers, when they make that noise, they know that all the hens will come to them. But the rule of nature, just as God has designed the male turkey, is that if he is with a hen, no matter how many hens come calling out in the woods, he will stay with that hen. He will stay with her. It is something written into the fabric and DNA. Very, very rarely will a turkey, a gobbler ever leave a hen. But every once in a while, he violates everything that he knows to be true. And he hears the sound even though he's with his hen. And he leaves and he never comes back. Because he goes not to a hen, but to an imposter. A pretender. Somebody with a wooden box. Or a call and a gun. And the turkey who stays with the hen dies of old age. And the turkey that doesn't, you know the moral of this story? Don't be a turkey. (laughs) Don't. What does adultery cost? Too much. For your sake, for your marriage's sake. For God's sake, don't pay that price because the price is too high. Be so captivated with God's love that you are satisfied in Him and the relationship. And I understand I speak to those who may wonder in a world that's gone crazy, single adults who say, I want to live a life of purity, but it is very hard in a world that has gone crazy. I must be the crazy one. And I want to say on behalf of this congregation, you are not crazy for wanting to live a life of obedience to Christ. And we support you and rejoice in your commitment. And my challenge to you is to be captivated with the love of God, so captivated with His love that you are obedient, that your world is wide and your bed is narrow. This is God's word to us today. And I challenge you in this way. And when I think about the price of adultery, I remember that the only price that was higher is the price that Jesus Christ paid at Calvary. And because all of us are susceptible to sin. And as Jesus described in Matthew 5, none of us are completely pure in this area. The good news is that there is forgiveness. And there is grace. And there is hope. Because of Christ, we can be redeemed and restored and renewed And ransomed, and on this side of adultery, I want to say to you, don't. But if you find yourself on the other side, I want to speak to you of the God whose love was so great that He sent His only Son to die on the cross so that sins like mine and sins like yours could be forgiven. Would you pray with me? Father, thank You for the greatness of Your grace that flows down to us today. We are sinners saved by grace. We make no pretense and claim that we are above temptation. But we stand strong in the love that you have given to us. And I pray for this congregation, Lord, that you would keep us in the very center of your will. 
Preserve us, Lord, from those sins that would destroy our lives and our souls and our homes and our fellowship in this body of Christ. And for those who have failed, God, I pray that your grace would be so real. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.